Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, God's Love in Marriage. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. So I want to share this morning, start dealing with God's kind of love. When you go to marriage seminars, there's a lot of things that can be dealt with, like we will be touching on some of these things, I'm sure. But uh, many marriage seminars, I'd say one of the basics, the uh, fundamental elements that they teach is communication, which there's no doubt that communication is important. If you aren't communicating with each other, then there's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be mistrust. Uh, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And unless you can talk things out and really know where that person's coming from and feel, well, then Satan is going to use that against you. So I'm not belittling that. That's important. But did you know I've seen some people that have come to... Um, our marriage seminars, and they went to this one where they taught techniques of communication. They told you how to write letters to each other, to write notes to each other. They told you all of these ways to break these barriers down and begin to communicate. And it's not that really it's all wrong, but they never dealt with the inner person. And so what they were doing was communicating all of their hatreds and their mistrust, and it became negative communication. Communication is good, but it's got to be the right kind of communication. And so really what we're trying to do is to go to the root of the problem. If you deal with the insides of a person, and if you change their heart, then the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you can really deal with a person and stir up the love of God and, and quicken the love of God within a person for their mate, then you don't have to worry about communication. It's automatic. You know, when you were courting each other, I guarantee you didn't have any problems communicating, did you? I know that when I was a kid, you know, the boyfriends and girlfriends just stay on the phone and hog the phones all the time. They just communicate, communicate, communicate all of the time. Communication is not really a problem if your attitude towards each other is right. And so uh, we'll be dealing with some of these things, but rather than going into the techniques of that, we're going to deal more with the in inward um, desires of the heart. So I'd like to deal with God's kind of love and uh, talk about that. And I really want to encourage you, when you start talking about this, a lot of people will say, well, I know what God's kind of love is, and yet I don't believe any of us have really tapped into God's kind of love. Not in our relationship with God, number one. And I do want to qualify this. Jamie said last night that I was halfway through my message before I really made it clear I was stressing the priority of marriage that God was before your marriage. She said, you know, you were emphasizing marriage so much. Well, we're talking about in, in relationships. It does need to be said that God has to be first in everything. If your relationship with God is not good, your relationship with your mate will not be good either. You can't give something that you haven't received. And so that's, that's a prerequisite. You can't give God's love unless you're receiving God's love yourself. And that's one reason that many of us are so bound up and not able to communicate and show love is because we've never really opened ourselves up to receive love. And I'll be dealing with that in a different session. But when we start talking about God's kind of love, it's important that you recognize that all of us have a tremendous amount to learn in this area. One of the things I think that is so deadly in marriage is that when, it, when you start talking about love, most people think, well, I know about that. I know about how to love my mate, and I know all of these things. And yet most of us receive our instruction, our teaching on what love is like from the world, not from God. And it was, it was not a godly type of picture, and therefore it's reproduced in our marriage. Now, when it comes to healing, see, we recognize we've got something to learn. So we go to the Word of God and begin to learn in all these other areas. But people think, well, I know how to love my wife, or I know how to love my husband. And that's not so. If we were really operating in God's kind of love, it would be different. So I want you to open up and receive that there may be something else that there is for you to learn about God's kind of love. And as we go through this, I believe it's going to revolutionize your relationship. Here in Ephesians chapter 3, 
Let's read in verse 14. Paul is praying a prayer. And this is kind of a checklist for you to see whether you're operating in God's kind of love. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, in the 17th verse, he says, As you are rooted and grounded in love, then you will be able to comprehend. So love opens up your understanding to the things of God. Love will open up your understanding to your mate. If you are walking in God's kind of love, you'll have an understanding heart towards your mate. A person who does not understand, like for instance, as I deal with people, I'd say one of the things that people say many, many times is my mate doesn't understand me and things like this. Well, that's a reflection on their walking in God's kind of love. When you're walking in God's kind of love, you will have a comprehension and understanding of other people. And so you'll have an understanding of the things of God. In verse 18, it says that you will... Um, comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Now that looks like a contradiction at first. How can you know something if it passes knowledge? But if you would look this up and study it out, what this is talking about is that you would experience. This know is talking about an experiential knowledge which passes mere head knowledge about something. It's the same word as in the Old Testament. Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived and bare a child. It's talking about an intimate personal relationship and experience. And so he says that if you will begin to experience the love of God, and that simply passes mere knowledge about God, the results will be that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. So I read this scripture to say that if we really understood the love of God, if we really understood what the love of God was like, the results would be that you would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now, if there's anybody in here who is not filled with all of the fullness of God, I mean, if you aren't overflowing with all the attributes that God wants you to have, if you aren't walking in it, then you've got a problem understanding and walking in the love of God. I believe that that's every last one of us. Amen? If you're breathing, you aren't uh, reflecting all of the attributes of God yet. Even Paul said, I have not counted myself to apprehend yet, but this one thing I do, he was still pressing for the mark. Now, see, a problem that we have is you can't compare yourself with somebody else. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, but they comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. You cannot use somebody else as your standard. We have to go to God's Word. And according to God's Word, there are none of us that have lived up to the abundant life that God's really promised us. We're all still falling short. You know, one thing that's really refreshing with certain groups today, like I won't mention their names, but you can go to certain groups that are just now coming into the truths of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and hearing teaching on faith, etc. There is an excitement. There is a seeking after God, a hungering and a thirsting after God. And the reason is because they know that they've got so far to go. And then you come to a lot of spirit-filled people that have been hearing the faith message and things for a while. And did you know that one of the worst things that's happened is that there's a complacency. They came from a, a level that was just intolerable and begin to see the power of God operate to a degree that now they are seeing some manifestation, but they've sat, they're satisfied. They've reached a place where there's no longer that hungering and thirsting after God. And did you know those people are hard to minister to? I'd rather go to a group of people that don't know anything about God and are hungry for the things of God than to go to a group of people that know quite a bit and yet have leveled off and no longer are seeking God. That comes from comparing ourselves among ourselves. 
and you can't do that. We've got to use God's standard as uh, our standard. And so when you look at God's standard, there are none of us that are really operating in the love of God the way that God said that we should. For instance, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says that we're supposed to be kind, tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. The Scripture admonishes us to walk in love towards people the exact same way that Jesus walked in love towards us. Now, if you'd be honest, every last one of us have fallen short there, especially in our marriages. If we walked in love as God walks in love, there would not be strife and division in marriages. So if there's been any problem in marriages, which I know is the reason people are here, even if you've got a good marriage, it can always be better, well, then the love of God, a deficiency of operating in the love of God, is one big reason for problems in marriage. If we really loved our mate as Christ loved the church, you would not have that strife and division. So we need to look at God's kind of love and begin to up our standards. Let's look over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to use this as a checklist to see what the characteristics of God's kind of love are. Now, I'm sure I'm not going to get into this in this session, but uh, I may touch on this some. I'm just not sure how far I'll get. But uh, how many of you were at uh, our Phoenix Crusade that we held here back in October? Would you raise your hand? Quite a few of you. You know, we dealt with some things there about God is love and what the real nature and the character of God was like. And if you would take those things, it would open up your relationship with God to such a degree that then your relationship with your mate would totally change. But many of us see are reproducing wrong attitudes. We have wrong understanding about how God loves us, and we're just reproducing that same thing. There was an example of uh, a boy that was in um, a Christian school that my children attended. And he was a brand new kid in the school. And I was taking my boys home and also the assistant pastor's boys one day. And as we were driving home, they were in the back seat talking. And boy, they were just really talking about how this kid was so mean that he would come in and he started hitting everybody. All he did was getting fights all of the time. And they, he had been sneaking up. And every time they walked around the corner, uh, hitting them in the arm. And their arms were black and blue. And so they were deciding on their plan of attack the next day. Boy, they were going to catch that guy and they were going to get him good. Now, praise God, this wasn't my kids. Maybe they were uh, watching what they said because they were in the car with me, but I don't believe so. But they, these were the assistant pastor's kids. And so anyway, I wanted to do something about it, but I didn't want to get in and just jump on. So what I did, I said, have you ever uh, thought about why this boy is the way that he is? Have you ever thought about why he's like that? And I didn't know anything, and this wasn't a word of knowledge. I was just guessing, you know. And I said, what if he's come from a bad situation where all he's ever had was just hatred given to him? And what if people hate him and all he's ever had is rejection? I said, now, how can he give anything but what he's got? And if people respond to him in hate, well, then nobody's ever going to give him love. He'll never have anything different to act on. I said, the real way to break this is the way to break this cycle is to start giving love when a person gives you hate. And I said, then he'll have something else to act on. As we got to talking, they said, well, he did come from a situation where he lived in Houston and his parents had gotten a divorce and told him, both parents told him, says, we hate you and we don't want anything to do with you. Both parents rejected the boy and he was on the rebound. I think this was his second or third set of in-laws he was living with. And for the last couple of years, he, just, he was like an eight or nine-year-old boy, uh, totally told that he was hated. Nobody loved him. He was just passed around. And, and then they wondered why he was treating people the way he was. 
And it turned out, see, the next day they went back and told him, says, look, we understand you, why you're the way you are, and we just want you to know that we love you and you don't have to be that way. You don't have to do that. And it, boy, that boy just responded positively to it, solved the whole situation. But see, you can't give something that you don't have. And so if our relationship with God is not proper, if we don't really understand God's love for us, it's inevitable that you're going to reproduce bitterness and strife and jealousy in your marriage. And so our relationship with God is directly reflected in our relationship with our mate. That's a strong statement, but I really believe that. If you're having problems with your mate, we tend to justify it by putting the blame on somebody else. Like Adam, you know, when God came to him and says, Adam, what have you done? And he says, it's that woman that thou gavest me, amen. Immediately, pass the buck. We always tend to look and say, well, it, it, it's my husband, it's my wife, it's the way that they're acting. But I guarantee you, it is not your mate that's the problem. If you're full of bitterness, if you're hurt and all of these kind of things, it's the way that you've reacted to that person and what they've done that have caused that. You can walk in God's love to such a degree that the same as Jesus hanging on the cross, he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was not a positive confession. That was an attitude of his heart. He walked in love to the degree that the very people killing him, he turned around and forgave them. And again, I refer you to Ephesians 4, 31. It says that we are supposed to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. We can do that. Stephen did the same thing. As he was being stoned to death, Stephen turned around and said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. We can operate that way. And if you are not reflecting that degree of love and forgiveness with your mate, it's a reflection on your relationship with God. If you had that love of God flowing through you, things would be different. So let's look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at some of the characteristics of God's kind of love. Well, I tell you, let's, let's start with the first verse. Usually I skip on down to the fourth verse, but all of this is good, and I'm sure that many of you are familiar with this chapter. But in verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. This word charity is simply an old English word that refers to God's kind of love, the agape type of love, and really charity is a better word than love. Some people are always saying, well, this is mistranslated, it should have been love. No, charity is a better word because charity, if you look it up, the original meaning of charity is a brotherly type of love, a love that is always expressed, acted on toward your uh, fellow human beings. And that's the reason that we've dubbed the Salvation Army, etc. Charities is because they are people-oriented. They're always ministering to the needs of people. So really, charity is a very good word, but you've just got to qualify it and make sure you understand what it's saying. It's talking about God's kind of love. And a person... You may have problems in your marriage, and you may be praying in tongues day and night. Boy, you may pray in tongues and pray in tongues and pray in tongues over that marriage, but if you aren't operating in God's kind of love, did you know it's going to profit you nothing? That's what the Scripture's saying. I've seen so many people that spend hours and hours and hours praying in tongues, and then they go out and wipe the whole thing out because they aren't operating in God's kind of love. Operating in intercession, getting people to pray for your marriage is not all of the answer. You know, a little bit of acting on the Word of God will do a a world of good, amen. And we need to put some action into it. So he, he's saying that all of your praying in tongues, unless it's done in charity, profits you nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. There's a lot of people that says, I've been praying for my mate. I've been praying for my marriage, believing for this thing to change. How come it hasn't changed? I know I'm praying in faith. Well, are you operating in God's kind of love? 
See, there's some people that think that their prayer and their faith can affect changes in their marriage, more, even if they're living a sloppy life. I tell you, if you are not walking in God's kind of love, and if you have all faith so that you could remove mountains, it's going to profit you nothing. You can't spend an hour in prayer a day and expect your marriage to work if you aren't walking in God's kind of love. Now, I'm not telling you that praying for your marriage is unimportant, but I'm saying that that is not a substitute for you doing what God said. We're supposed to be walking in love one towards another. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Well, I tell you, this has so many applications. So many people today wonder why, you know, I haven't received my hundredfold return yet. I know when I, Jamie and I first got turned on to the Lord and found out about a hundredfold return, we gave a hundred dollars, expected to receive ten thousand in the mail. The next week we went out and looked at a house. We were going to get a mobile home, and we just expected that money to be there, and we're just totally shocked when we didn't have that money within a week. I know that there's some of you, you know, that you've given, and if all it took was you giving every time the offering bucket was passed, you'd be millionaires by now. There's more to prosperity than give, and it shall be given unto you. Yes, that's the truth, but that truth does not stand independent of other truths of God's Word. If you're giving all of your goods to feed the poor, if you're giving your body to be burned and don't have God's kind of love, guess what? You will never receive one return on anything that you give. If you're giving things to your mate, and if, you know, you look back and say, well, I've remembered their birthday, I've remembered our anniversary, I've done this and this and this, but what's your attitude? Are you operating in God's kind of love? All of your giving profits you nothing unless you're doing it with that God kind of love behind it. So what's God's kind of love like? Well, here's the checklist, starting with verse 4. Charity, or God's kind of love, suffereth long and is kind. Well, that right there would knock most of us out, wouldn't it? Now, don't use this as a standard of condemnation, but just be honest with yourself and look at this and say, you know, am I really operating in God's kind of love towards my mate? Do I suffer long? with them and am I kind you know I've dealt with so many people that I mean the slightest little thing can tick them off boy I mean it doesn't take long they got a very short fuse evaluate yourself now don't evaluate your mate alright evaluate yourself some of you are sitting there thinking boy that's my mate now we aren't talking about your mate at the moment we're talking about you how long-suffering are you and how kind are you? You know, this being kind in marriage is something that a lot of people forget. I've had people come to me for marriage counseling, and uh, in marriage counseling, I mean, I just don't mix words with them. I hadn't got time to sit there and play politics with a person. I may only get one shot at them, and I've told people things like, man, you're a jerk, and, and this is the reason that this is happening. And I try and say it in love, but I'm just honest with people up front. And did you know as I counsel people, some of those people, I've said things to them that I know in my heart, if their mate was to even infer half of the things I've said, boy, they would have exploded. I mean, it would have been a divorce right then. But people are kind to me because I'm outside the family. We tend to have double standards. Many of you ever seen this? I was raised, and I mean, they weren't conscious of this, but I was told this in these words, that you may get by with this at home, but if you ever do this out in public and embarrass me in front of people, I guarantee you, you're in a world of trouble. Boy, you'll get... What they were teaching me was that you may get by, you can slide at home. You can treat people one way at home, but out in public, you had better treat people better than this. You know, that's a terrible attitude. The people at home ought to be the ones you treat better than anybody else. You know, my brother's not spirit-filled, and he's had quite a few problems with me sometimes. <laughs> but my brother's got some things together, and one of them is that after they first got married, 
my sister-in-law was breaking out all of the china and the crystal and all the real nice silverware and everything. My brother was saying, what are you doing? He says, well, we got company coming over tonight. And he says, well, why are you getting all this stuff out? He says, well, we got company. I'm putting out the best. And he put it all back up. And he says, if you're going to use that, he says, you use it for our family and you put out the old stuff for the, for the, everyday, the everyday stuff for the visitors. And I mean, he just exalts his family that way. He says, we're going to use the best for our family. You know, you ought to treat your husband or your wife better than you treat any other person on the face of the earth. If you're kind to me and if you would come in and be kind to me and try and think of something nice to say to me and, and bless me, well, how much more so should it be that way with your mate? That's God's kind of love. And yet, sad to say, most people have an opposite standard. We let our hair down. We treat our mate worse than we treat anybody else. We say things to them that we wouldn't say to a dog. And we wonder, how come things aren't going right? in our marriage. You know, among ministers, I've had hundreds of people, and this is not an exaggeration, hundreds. I had people this last week come up to me in Kansas City and say, you know, I have never heard you say anything bad about your wife. And says, most preachers use their wife as the butt of jokes and say things that, you know, you may laugh about it, but nonetheless, there's a dig there. There's a, there's a little something done at the same time. And I've had hundreds of people come up and just say, man, I appreciate the way that you speak about your wife, and it's a blessing to them. Did you know that we're supposed to be kind? And sometimes making jokes at the expense of our mate is not kind. Embarrassing them, saying things about them in front of people that you wouldn't say about me or about anybody else, that's not being kind. Amen? We need to wise up that those things hurt people. Words hurt people. And your mate, I'm sure at one time or another, has been hurt just through things that weren't kind. Maybe you didn't mean them really to hurt, but you just didn't give the kindness to your mate that you're supposed to. Did you know that that will eventually war on that marriage and Satan will use that as an inroad to build uh, walls between you? God's kind of love, if you're operating in God's kind of love, it suffers long and it's kind. Now, if that's not a characteristic of you, then it's because you're deficient in God's kind of love, and you need to take the things we'll be teaching here on God's kind of love and put them into practice in your life. It also goes on to say that charity envieth not. Have you all ever had an instance where, say, uh, your husband got a new rifle to go hunting with, got a new fishing line, got a new jacket, got something for his car, did this or that, and the wife says, you know, you're always spending money on yourself, and I never get anything. I've been wanting this new dress for I don't know how long. And look, you take your money and go out and do this. Or have your husbands ever seen your wife and you say, Man, you got 50 pairs of shoes in your closet and I got two. <laughs> you know what that is? That's envy. That's self-centeredness. That's thinking about what I've got and what I don't have in comparison to what you've got. Did you know God's kind of love is not like that? Did you know if you're envious of your mate... If you've ever sat there and says, well, you know, why are they using the money for this and that? Did you know that ought to be a red flag go up to you saying that, man, something's wrong because God's kind of love would rejoice when you see your mate prosper. You know, an example of this is that when I was uh, uh, holding these Bible studies, I traveled six Bible studies a week in three states for about a year and a half or something. And uh, that's when I was really uh, not giving due benevolence to my wife and my family. Boy, I mean, we, it was terrible. We were driving 150 miles one way to these Bible studies, come back in at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. I didn't have anybody working for me. I was duplicating all of the tapes, making all the radio programs, doing everything myself. It was a one-man show. And, I mean, uh, it was hard on our family, very hard on our family. But during that period of time, 
people knew me, and I was the one that spoke. Jamie was basically quiet and just sat over there. I used to even lead all of the singing in our Bible studies and stuff, so she didn't even do the music or anything. So there just wasn't as much um, contact with Jamie as there was with me. So people knew me. They knew when my birthdays were. When it came my birthday, all of these Bible studies, they'd give me money, they'd give me cards, they'd give me presents. I'd get all of this attention. And Jamie, nobody knew when her birthday was. Nobody knew any of these kind of things. And so I was always getting attention and Jamie wasn't. And did you know one time, I remember Jamie had been saving up. I can't remember all the details on this. We've talked about it and we both have forgotten the details, but it was something like this, all right, that she had been believing to get this one pantsuit that she wanted for a long time and we were poor. We didn't have enough money to be able to do it. And all of this money came in on my birthday so that these people could buy me a real nice padded guitar case, you know, which was uh, extra. I didn't need a fancy guitar case. But we were just a little bit short of this one that they had picked out for us and Jamie kicked in some of this money that she had been saving for her own stuff to help me get that. And did you know when that happened, boy, the Lord was just showing me. He says, now that's an example of God's kind of love, that envy's not. Because, boy, Jamie could have been bitter over that. She could have said, man, how come? You're spending all this money on a guitar case, and here I don't even have my own dress or whatever. But instead, it wasn't like that at all. She wasn't sitting there thinking about what I had and what she didn't have. Now, praise God, she got her pantsuit. Amen. And God blessed her. But see, that's an example of not envying. If there's envy in your relationship, this ought to be a red flag that goes up the moment you feel that to recognize that that is not of God's. God's, God's kind of love does not envy the other person. It is not always taking account of how the other person's got more than what you have. It goes on to say that charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. And these are simply old English words. This part and also the next part of the verse, in uh, verse 5, it says, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. All of those things basically are simply saying that God's kind of love is not self-centered. And this is the root cause, and I'll be dealing with this uh, specifically when I deal with the subject of strife. But this is the, one of the biggest problems in marriage is just basically self-centeredness. Most people, when they got married, didn't get married with a God kind of love at all. Most people got married with the type of love that I want you because you are going to be the person that ministers to me exactly what I want. Did you know that that's the wrong attitude for marriage? Marriage ought to be a, a, an attitude that I love you so much. You're the person that I want to give the rest of my life to, trying to fulfill you, trying to build you up, trying to make you everything that you're supposed to be. Marriage ought to be an opportunity for you to dump yourself totally into another person, but instead most of us get married thinking that that person is going to totally fulfill us. It's, an, it's a taking relationship rather than a giving relationship. And yet all of these things here are saying that God's kind of love seeks not its own. It's not self-centered. It is not self-promoting. But rather it is always seeking the good of other people, exactly as God was with us. When Jesus came to this earth, I guarantee you Jesus did not go around. He was not out just for his acclaim, but rather he was out there with compassion, moved towards those people, ministering to their needs. That's an expression of God's type of love. A lot of men marry the women because a woman was the homecoming queen. She's beautiful, boy, she looks just right. And that he just saw her as a crowning feather, you know, in his cap, that this is exactly what he's always wanted. Every time he walks in someplace with her, people are going to ooh and ah and say, boy, what a beautiful wife you've got. Total self-ego type of thing. But did you know if that's your motivation, 
One of these days you're going to wake up and your wife doesn't have all of her makeup on and she's got these curlers in her hair and boy, she's going to have bags under her eyes sooner or later and maybe she begins to put on weight and you know what happens to a lot of relationships? They go down the tubes because that relationship never was based on I love you and I want to give to you, but rather you should be giving to me. And the first person, first time that person doesn't fulfill those requirements, uh, there's bitterness, there's resentment that builds like you aren't fulfilling me anymore. I tell you, that's where a lot of problems in marriage come. I had a couple, um, John Charles and Carolyn Murphy, who ministered with me at one of our winter camp meetings. And uh, this couple, they now pastor in Shreveport, Louisiana. But at one time, John Charles Murphy held uh, pastor the largest Southern Baptist church in New Mexico. And he was seeing over, I think it was 2,500 people a year baptized in water, saved, baptized. His church was growing. They had something like, I don't know, hundreds of buses that were running. He was one of these big promoters, had a tremendous ministry going. But behind the scenes, he and his wife were having terrible problems. And the reason for it is, you'd have to know John Charles, but he was Mr. All-American. He was always captain of the football team. I played racquetball with that guy and run with him, and he is the most athletic person I've ever met in my life. He can just do anything. He was one of these guys that just was everything you ever wanted a person to be real nice personable fella and his wife um, Carolyn is one of these southern bells I mean she's beautiful and she's got the draw to go along with it I mean she's just everything you could always want so anyway they came together see with this wrong motivation he married her because she was just so beautiful everything was just right and she married him because he was her uh, prince what is it charming Knight in shining armor. And she, really, she developed a romantic attitude towards love. She saw these stories where, you know, Prince Charming would come along and sweep the girl off of her feet and ride off into the sunset and everything would be happy forever after. And that's the kind of attitude that she had. And John Charles, if anybody could measure up to that standard, it looked like John Charles. But did you know that nobody is really like that? Amen. Even John Charles, as good as he is. <laughs> Because of her attitude, see, she married John Charles to minister to her. She did not see that she also was supposed to be ministering unto him, that she was a help sufficient for him. And so it was all a self thing. It was all a, a taking relationship. Did you know after a while she, she didn't experience the fulfillment? Actually, she was placing demands on John Charles that only God can fulfill. And I, I want to say this before we go any further that we're, we're here to improve relationships. We're here so that your mate can minister to you and, and walk in love better. But I promise you, until the day you go to be with the Lord, your mate is not going to treat you exactly the way you should be treated because they're human. They're going to make mistakes. There will be times that they uh, do things to you that are wrong. This marriage seminar is not going to change that. The real thing that's going to change is your ability, your capacity to walk in love regardless of what your mate does. And as you walk in love, you'll find out your mate will improve, but there will still always be uh, problems. There will still always be things that you have to deal with. And so anyway, she was placing a demand on John Charles. She was wanting him to fulfill her, to give her total fulfillment, which only God can really do. And as it didn't come to pass, she began to get bitter towards him. They began to add hatred towards the very person that they loved and had committed their life to. And they really did love each other, but she began to have bitterness towards him as, he's the reason I'm not happy. He's the reason that my life isn't everything that it should be. So she began to be bitter towards him. And it reached, and this is over a period of years, but it reached a place to where, I mean, he would come home from church. And here he was, pastor of the largest church, all of these thousands getting born again and everything. He'd come home and she'd t she took a whole pan of beans one time and met him at the front door and just shoved it right in his face. She'd take 
the silverware and throw a whole drawer full of silverware at him at one time. She'd, she, they had a parsonage next door to the First Baptist Church, and she'd turn the music up as loud as it could go, this rock and roll music, and get out on the front porch and just boogie and do all of these things, amen. She went down in front of the church and embarrassed him in front of the whole church and said things. She just hated him. She was full of hate because her life was not fulfilled, and she was in rebellion. She had heart problems, asthma problems, all these other things, and one day she went down in front of the church and says, All right, Dr. Murphy, and threw the Bible down. Here it says if I'm sick, I'm supposed to call for the elders of the church. They're supposed to pray for me and anoint me with oil, and God will heal me. And she knew he didn't believe in that or anybody else, and she did it to spite him, embarrass him in front of thousands of people. I mean, that's, that's how bad the relationship had deteriorated. And so anyway, he prayed for her. They got oil and prayed for her. And, but it had gotten so bad that one day she, she decided to commit suicide. She went out and bought a, uh, a gun, I guess it was. I don't know if it was a gun or a rifle, but it probably a gun. She went out to a firing range, and she was going to kill herself, and she was praying, God, help me to do it the first time. You know, I don't want to struggle. I don't want to be in agony. I want to kill myself the first shot. So she was feeling around to get her, her heart beat so she could really get herself the very first shot, and all of a sudden she realized that her heart was beating regular, that she didn't have any problems. She stopped and thought, and her asthma was over with. And she realized that God, through this mock prayer that they prayed in this Baptist church, that she had really been healed and that God loved her. And she fell down and recommitted her life to the Lord right there. And so she went home. And now John Charles, who had really walked in love towards her, he had not criticized her in front of all of these people. He, had been, he was a superman. Now he was bitter because she had ruined his ministry. He had to resign that church because of all of the strife that was in his home. And he had always, you know, had this goal of success. Ministers lots of times have their goals of success, and they'll step over people or do whatever to, to obtain their goals, the same as people out in the world. And um, he had now, he was a total flop. They had to resign. He didn't have a job. He came to Dallas-Fort Worth area and went to work for James Robinson as his crusade and television manager, and in the interim sold insurance on the side to help make uh, ends meet. And they were just really in a bad situation. This guy with doctor's degrees, multiple, I think, doctor's degrees and all of this out there working and scraping for a living. And he was just humiliated. And now here's his wife who caused all of it, was now forgiven, was now having joy and peace and going around praising God, and it made him mad. Amen. <laughs> And he got to the place where she was trying to bridge the gap and now mend the relationships. And she came one time and brought him coffee and served him coffee, which, I mean, she never ministered to him before. It was always, there it is, get it yourself. Amen. And now she was serving him coffee and trying to walk in love. And he took one sip of that coffee and spit it right in her face. And she just wiped it off and smiled and said, would you like some more? <laughs> She went and got some more coffee, and then she said she went to the opposite end of the house, locked herself in the bathroom, and just screamed at the top of her lungs. <laughs> but see, this hatred and bitterness, it happened not because they, they really loved each other, but they, she placed a demand on him that nobody could fulfill because of this romantic type of love. It was not a godly attitude at all. It was like, you are here to bless me. You're to protect me. You're to give me all of these things. She didn't see that she had any requirements to give to him at all. And so she placed a demand on him that eventually built walls and nearly destroyed that marriage. And finally, both of them took 1 Corinthians chapter 13 
And they got to where every time they started to operate in anger with each other, they would just begin to start saying these scriptures over. And sometimes they would shout them at each other. But instead of shouting insults, they'd shout the word at each other. Amen. Charity suffers long. It's kind. And they got to where the kids, their kids were teenagers by this time. Their kids, when they saw mom and dad start to have a fight, would immediately come in and start quoting the scriptures. And now, if you were to see John, Charles, and Carolyn, I mean, they are the picture of newlyweds. Boy, syrupy, sugary, sweet. I mean, they're obnoxious sometimes. They're so... But I mean, God's done a work in that marriage. And what changed it was when Carolyn realized that John Charles was not her savior and that she was here to bless him. And John Charles realized that Carolyn was not his problem, that it was Satan that had worked in her, and he began to realize that, and he began to start ministering. When they began to start ministering to each other, things worked out. Did you know if we would take this right here, and if we would not be self-centered, self-promoting, self-seeking in our love, if you would look at your mate and say, why are they doing what they're doing? You'd find out most of the time what they're doing is a reaction to something that you've done. You'd find out most of the time the things they're doing that upset you, it's a carnal reaction to some way that you've mistreated them. If you'd get your act together and not spend half as much time praying for your mate, but just get your act together to where you were really walking in love towards your mate, did you know you wouldn't get all of those reactions? You'd find out that as you start giving love, it would be given back unto you. That's the way it works. But most of us, we give strife, we give hatred. Most of us have learned to depend upon our own carnal ability to try and manipulate, to criticize, to get things done. And I tell you, there's a scripture over in James. We'll be dealing with this as we get on strife. But it says in James chapter 1 that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You can get compliance through anger, and I'll deal with that more later on, but you will never accomplish God's will through anger. So God's kind of love seeks not its own. It goes on to say it's not easily provoked thinketh no evil. If you're easily provoked, what does it take to get to you? Now, again, evaluate yourself, not your mate. What does it take to get to you? If you're easily provoked, you are not walking in God's kind of love. God's kind of love will keep you from being easily provoked. And it says, it thinketh no evil. Boy, if I had time, you could develop this for hours about how much strife and problems in every relationship, but especially in marriage, comes through our unrenewed mind and the things that we allow ourselves to think on. And did you know the Bible counters this? Many times it says, think on things that are honest and pure and lovely and of good report. If there's virtue and praise, think on these things. It says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the carnal mind is enmity against God, but the spiritual mind is, is life and peace. And God will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed upon the Isaiah 26, 3. And on and on you could go. If you think negative thoughts, if you allow Satan to implant and focus on the negative things in your mate, it's going to breed strife. It's impossible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And God's kind of love thinks no evil. To illustrate this, when you first fell in love with your mate, did you know there's a saying in the world that love is blind? And did you know that there's a lot of truth to that? The Bible says twice. One time in the New Testament, it says love covers a multitude of sins. And in the Old Testament in Proverbs, it says love covers the multitude of sins. 
Love covers sins. Love does not look on the negative aspects of a person. When you first fall in love with a person, did you know you could come up and try and discredit that uh, person that you love and they could say things against them? And it, when you are in love with a person, you just don't acknowledge it. It doesn't matter. You don't focus on the negative. All you can see is the good side of that person. Everybody relate to that? Shake your head, yes or no. I want to see if you know, Okay. Most people relate to that. When you're really walking in love towards your mate, did you know you will not be thinking on the negative things? If you ever find yourself in a position where you are constantly seeing the negative things that your mate is doing, and you're dwelling on that, and you find yourself just thinking on it and meditating on it all of the time, boy, it ought to be a red flag to you that, man, something is deadly wrong. You've gotten totally out of God's kind of love because God's kind of love will not dwell upon those wrongs done in a person. God's kind of love thinks no evil. God's kind of love will give a person the benefit of the doubt. Did you know that one of the qualifications of an elder found over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that they be sober? And that sober does not mean non-drunk. That's not what it's talking about. That sober there is talking about your personality, your attributes. And if you look sober up in the dictionary, it literally means to be void of speculative imagination. In other words, what it's saying is that an elder in the church has to be the type of person that is not going to speculate with a negative imagination on people's actions and reactions. Now that is really powerful. Most of uh, relationship problems that we have come because of a negative mindset and we take something that somebody does and we take it and blow the thing totally out of proportion. You all following what I'm saying through this? Like, for instance, when I know that uh, as a minister, when I first got started in the ministry, you don't like people to dislike you. You don't like people to get upset with you when you minister. And so you're always wanting a positive response. But it seems like that it's very easy to major on the negative responses. You could have 500 people in there and one person get mad and ball you out and let you have it and 499 get totally blessed and you tend to focus on that negative response and leave the place discouraged even though you had, you know, 99.9% .9 positive response. We are conditioned, programmed, trained how to respond negatively. And so I've, I found myself sometimes looking at people and saying, are they really receiving this? Are they getting this? Do they like this? Do they not like this? And I found myself one time, you know, boy, you get up and you prophesy, and I mean you minister something that there's no way that a person can miss what you're saying. I mean, it wasn't one of these general prophecies about God's going to bless you sometime in the near future. But, I mean, it's something specific. You put your whole life and ministry on the line. Either you got it or you didn't. And that person's always there every time the doors are open. So you minister to them, you get real bold, and then the next time, they aren't there. And you know the first thought you have? Man, I wonder if I missed it with that prophecy. I wonder if things didn't come to pass exactly the way it should. I wonder if that person now thinks I'm a false prophet. And you get to thinking and say, you know, I bet you they've been out telling people about this. They've probably been saying I'm a false prophet. And you get to thinking all of these things, and then by the next time you see them, you're ready to punch them right in the nose. How dare you to go out and say all these things about me? And the next time you see them, you find out that what really happened was they had a death in the family, and they were out of town. And that, man, they say, boy, that was just a right on word. That changed my life. Things like that have happened. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, is what it says in Revelation chapter 12. And Satan will take things that your mate does and blow them out of proportion. And if you aren't, aren't walking in God's kind of love, you'll take a little tiny thing that somebody does and you will magnify the thing and you'll be just sure that they're doing something to hurt you. 
And I tell you, if I had time, I could verify this with hundreds of personal examples, relationships, employees, employers, of how that we prejudice so much of the input that we get because we are just prone to think negative. A person comes in and, you know, they, don't see, they, they usually just hug you in and tell you they're so glad to see you. And they walk in sometime and they don't hug you or they just say hi and walk on by. And you know what? You begin to think, boy, I wonder what's the matter. I wonder if they're mad at me. I wonder what's been going on. And then Satan gives you a little tidbit over here and, you know, you begin to blow all of these things up. And what it may have been, they may have been hurting and they simply weren't in a position to minister. They needed you to minister to them. But see, we begin to start basing our relationships on those little things. If you're walking in God's kind of love, you are not going to think evil of your mate. You're not going to sit there and major on those negative things that you see in them and let Satan take that as the accuser of the brethren and blow them out of proportion. God's kind of love is an antidote to that. If you're walking in God's kind of love, you will think the best of a person. You know, I've put down a, a rule with the people that I know, and when I pastored churches, I made this just a standard procedure in our church. I said, if you've got something against me, you're going to have to come tell me because I am not going to read between the lines. I am not going to go to second guessing. I am not going to go by your action, reaction, lack of action, or anything else. I said, if you've got something against me, you're going to have to be big enough to come tell me because if you don't, I'm going to think the best of you and I am not going to speculate on anything. And did you know that that has stopped so many problems? It is a tremendous way to live. And I've had some people that have been, been out of shape with me. They had a problem, but I didn't. Because I guarantee you, I just don't respond. And, and we work things out like that. It's a positive way to be. If you're walking in God's kind of love, you will not go to speculating and picking up on little things. And you need to make application of that to your life. We could give hundreds of examples, you know, where you could apply that in your own personal relationship, little things that happen. But God's kind of love thinks no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. Have you all ever seen your mate do something wrong and you rejoice when they failed, when they fell short, kind of like I told you so? Man, you deserve that. Have you all ever done that? Just a couple of you have ever done it. <laughs> Did you know that that's not walking in God's kind of love? If you've got an attitude like that, you have missed out on God's kind of love. Because it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. In verse 7, now this is important. I want you to get verse 7 especially. God's kind of love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity, or God's kind of love, never fails. Every person that I've ever counseled, I'm sure every person that's at this marriage seminar, has at least tried to work through problems. You've tried. You don't want to see the marriage fail. But every one that I've ever seen fail basically came to a place where they said, I've done all I can do. I just can't do anymore. I can't bear it any longer. If you ever say that, you need to go back to this verse and say, God's kind of love bears all things. Are you to a place where you can't bear it any longer? That ought to be a red flag to you. That ought to warn you that you aren't operating in God's kind of love because God's kind of love can bear any situation. There's people saying, I just can't believe that this marriage is going to work any longer. God's kind of love believes all things. 
Is your faith run out to where you don't have any faith that that marriage is going to work out? It's because you aren't operating in God's kind of love. You have not applied God's system to the situation yet because God's kind of love would believe all things. Have you lost your hope that, man, this is hopeless, there's nothing else that can be done? That's a sure sign to you that you have not applied God's kind of love to the situation yet because God's kind of love hopes all things. It endures all things. Are you saying, I can't endure it any longer, I've reached the end of my rope? Then it's because you haven't yet operated in God's kind of love. When you operate in God's kind of love, you'll be able to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. God's kind of love never fails. And some people may say, brother, that's just too hard. You've got to remember that I'm only flesh and blood. I can't operate like that. Yes, you can. There's a part of you that is brand new. There's a part of you that's changed. And if you have reached the end of your limits, then that's, that just shows you that you've been operating out of your ability. When you push over into the supernatural that God's made available to you, when you begin to draw on the love that God placed on the inside of you, it'll last through any situation. It'll hope all things, endure all things, believe all things. It'll never fail. Amen? You know, I've got a... I've got a um, story that I want to share with you real quick. I've got time to do this, I think. But there is a woman that I like to use this woman as an example because it is, in my estimation, the worst example of a marriage that I've ever seen or heard of in my life, and yet that marriage is turned around. But this woman came to me. I, was past, I wasn't pastor, and I was holding Bible studies, and I was living in Lamar, Colorado. And this woman... They brought her over to my house one night after her husband had tried to kill her and her two children. And uh, he had had a butcher knife after him. And they were out on the front lawn. The neighbors had called the police, and the police were going to press charges on the man, but the woman wouldn't press charges. So anyway, they called some friends. The friends brought her over to my apartment late at night. We're telling about the situation. The husband had broken her neck once before in trying to kill her, had broken her neck, and one time poured boiling hot grease over her and had uh, scarred her through that and had tried to kill her. And he had a rule that he was a black man, she was a white woman, and they had a rule that the two children from the previous marriage, which were white children, had to stay in the basement, and if they ever came up on the main floor of the house, he'd kill them. And that's the relationship that they had. They had a separate entrance that they came in and out and everything. And so that's the situation that they were in. And they were telling me this situation. And... Uh, they were saying, man, tell this woman to get out of there. She doesn't have to stay in that situation. She doesn't have to live with something like that. And uh, I told her, I said, well, you definitely don't have to stay in that situation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if the mate be pleased to dwell with you, then let the believer not depart. And I said, he's definitely not pleased to dwell with you. I said, I think you've got grounds to leave. But I said, you also can stay if you want to dig in and believe God. I said, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, see, I, I admit that some people will tell a, a woman that's being abused or anything like that and say, man, you need to divorce that man and get away. I believe that you can separate in a situation like that, but I also believe that you can dig in and believe God and see that thing change around. And very seldom do you have people give you that option. I tell you, God's kind of love bears all things, hopes all things. There is no situation beyond God's kind of love. So I began to tell this woman, I said, you got two options. You can leave or you can stay and you can believe for that man and you can see that marriage changed. And that woman, I mean, it was just uh, the anointing of God dropping on that woman and she decided that she was going to stay and believe for that husband and believe for him to be changed. Now, she knew next to nothing about the Lord. 
And this also is a very positive part of this testimony because, I mean, she wasn't a spiritual giant. Matter of fact, three months after this instance and after I'd started dealing with her, she heard me mention something about Jean Dixon being like Balaam in the Bible. And she came up and she says, you mean Jean Dixon isn't a prophet of God? She was getting all of Jean Dixon's material and reading, thought she was a great prophet of God. I mean, she didn't know anything about the Lord. She was green. Matter of fact, the way she married this man, her first husband was killed in an automobile accident. She had three corporations that she inherited, and she was running these three corporations, and she uh, had a master's degree. She was pretty smart as a businesswoman, but I mean, she was just bogged down with it. She couldn't stand the pressure and the weight of it, raising these two kids without a father. And she was to the point of nearly breaking. And she walked into a daylight donut shop, and this man walked up to her and told her name, told her what was wrong with her, told her all of these things, and he says, I'm God, and if you'll submit to me and worship me, he says, I'll straighten out your problem. So she married this man believing he was God and worshiped him as God. He was a Baptist deacon, but it was all a facade. He could quote a lot of the New Testament, and yet he could levitate tables. He communicated with the dead. He called spirits up. And these spirits would walk through the house and grab her by the throat and attack her and stuff. And all of these spirits were in her house. He would leave his body. His body would be laying beside her in bed. And he'd be out in the hall barking at the moon and clawing on the walls, walking around. But his body would still be in bed. He had all kinds of demonic powers. And plus, she had been under the deception of thinking he was God. And so she was just totally in terror of him, of his powers and things like this. And I began to minister to her in this type of a situation and tell her that, that she could love that man and that she could see him change. And did you know that these scriptures, she took those and she believed that love could bear all things. And I'll bring, I'll bring this out more as we deal with strife, but she, instead of focusing all of her prayers towards him, she began to say, Lord, show me what's wrong with me. Because I began to tell her, I said, look, if your husband was to come and browbeat me with words and say things to me the way that, you know, she was reporting to me that she just couldn't stand against him. He was such a slick talker and everything. I said, I guarantee you, he couldn't, he couldn't manipulate me with his words. I said, it's not his words that's the problem. It's the, what's in you that has made you respond to it, that's made you come under that dominion and that fear of him. I said, that's the problem. So she quit focusing all of her attention on her husband, and she started praying for herself. And did you know, she started repenting, even to the point that they went to a marriage counselor, and in front of this marriage counselor, who was a friend of mine, a spirit-filled marriage counselor who was supposed to know better than this, and he got snowed by this man because this man could quote most of the New Testament. He's really a slick salesman. And they were there at the marriage counselor, and the marriage counselor asked the man first, what's your viewpoint? What's wrong in the marriage? And so he began to tell about the woman and say, well, she levitates tables. She communicates with the dead. She leaves her body and barks at the moon. He told everything about her that he did. Says, she broke my neck one time, poured hot grease on me. She's done this. She's threatened to kill these children and on and on. And he lied about the whole situation, so much so that when he got through, the marriage counselor was irate and looked at her and says, what's your side of the story? And you know what? What would you have done? I guarantee you, man, that war would have been on right there in the marriage counselor. You know what she did? She began to say, she says, you know, well, i got to admit, I'm as much of a problem as he is. Boy, I haven't, I haven't loved him the way that I should. I haven't. And she just began to list the things that she had done wrong. And she didn't defend herself. She didn't tell the truth about the situation. All she did was say, look, I'm not condemning him. I'm as much of the problem or more than what he is. God has shown me how that I've operated in bitterness, how I've been in strife, etc. And as a result, the marriage counselor says, told him, he says, you divorce her. There is no reason you have to put up with that. And he, he kicked him out of his office, told him to divorce her. And you know, when they got outside, that man looked at her and he says, why didn't you defend yourself? Why didn't you say something? 
And she says, I'm not here to help myself. I'm here to help you. And if, and if saying those things about me is going to help you, says, that's fine. She says, all I want is for you to get help. And did you know God's kind of love, see, it wasn't self-seeking. God's kind of love shone through to such a degree that that broke that man. And from that time on, I guarantee you, all of his authority began to crumble. Within six months, he had, because of she was growing in the Lord, he was decreasing in the power of the devil. Within six months, he had lost his ability to communicate with the dead, to levitate tables. He had lost these supernatural powers, and he became so petrified of his wife that he moved out. He says, I can't stand it. And he moved out and was gone for six months. She just kept believing God and using that time of separation as an opportunity to grow even stronger in the Lord. He came and tried to kill her one day. And he grabbed her by the throat and had a butcher knife up to her neck. And I mean, he uh, was serious. And she just started laughing. And she says, you can't touch me. He says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And she began to praise God. And she says, you're going to love God. You're going to be a minister of God. You're separated under the gospel. And she just began to say all of these things. And you know, that man just put the knife down. And she's, he says, well, if you really love me, go fix me a hamburger. She went in and fixed him a hamburger. And I mean, it was miraculous. Within six months, he came back. He's been... And I've, I've moved from that area, so I don't know all this firsthand, but she says that he's been saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and right now they're having a marital problem because he enrolled to go to Rama and enrolled in Rama this year, and she doesn't want to go. <laughs> so they're having problems over now. Him wanting to go into the ministry, and she doesn't want him to. What a switch. I tell you, God can turn it around. God's kind of love can bear all things. And I just want to encourage you, all we've done this morning is identify some of the characteristics of God's love. Our next session that I teach will be dealing with what is God's kind of love. Now that I realize I'm deficient in that area, what do I do? How do you operate in God's kind of love? That's what we'll be dealing with next. And I tell you, this is something that if you'll implement it in your life, that'll solve your communication problems. It'll solve all of those things. God's kind of love is an antidote to the problems in marriage. If we really loved each other as Christ loved the church, you wouldn't have those problems. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you, and really the main point that I've tried to make this morning is to get it across that, look, we've got a long ways to go in God's kind of love. Use these as a checklist. And it would do you good to just discipline yourself and come back to this so often and say, God, am I walking in love the way I should? And use these characteristics of God's kind of love right here as a checkpoint and it'll help you. Amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333 Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.